Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, a couple of quick housekeeping stuff before we keep going here. First, uh, just sent out this morning on Realm is the new edition of the homepage. A couple of things in there um, of note, focusing a lot on Realm stuff, but also some dates and such. If you're not on Realm and you want a paper copy, you can grab one on your way out. They're sitting back there on the uh, usher stand. And then uh, also just an encouragement. I know the, the chili contest is exciting. It's actually even a fundraiser. It's a cool thing for our youth. But keep in mind that Omega Hour is um, kind of running concurrent with that. Uh, and the Omega Hour today, I'm really excited about it. It's an overview of the entire New Testament, um, meaning we're not going to dive into each individual book, but kind of look at, I think one of the, the biggest things to take note of is the timeline. Um, when did all of these things happen? When were the books written? And I've got all of that laid out. I guarantee you are going to learn some things that you didn't know about the New Testament if you come in for that. So um, we'll start about 10, 15 minutes after the, the service is over right in here. There's some handouts you get to take home, all of that cool stuff. But today, as we continue in this um, ongoing preaching discussion of Revelation, we get to chapter 16, and this is the, the final of the three sevenfold visions, again, covering the time from when Jesus ascended into heaven until he then returned, sort of a descending back to earth. That, that is the time frame that each one of these visions looks at, sort of from a different perspective or angle, and Boy, today in this last one, um, which is going to be this week, and we're not going to cover all of the, the vision today, we see a lot of God's wrath coming out. So it's going to be kind of the, the topic for our discussion this morning is the wrath of God. I know, real cheerful, uh, awesome things to be talking about on a Sunday morning, but um, there's a lot of really great theology in here. So this is Revelation chapter 16. Um, if you have one of these, get ready. We got some notes this morning. Also, we're going to bounce to Exodus a little bit as well, 9 and 10. So have that ready if you would like. Revelation 16, starting with verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord, God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds." This is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, 
that doesn't sound fun. <laughs> it doesn't. And it's an important note about understanding God and our relationship with him, the kingdom of God in which we live currently, but we won't fully see until the resurrection. It's important to note something about God, that he is actually a very just God. And that's good, that God is a God who cares about justice, that wants to deal with injustice in the world, wants to bring to his creation a sense of justice that lacks without his intervention. We want God to be this way. We want God to, to take action in the world and in our lives. We want a God who's paying attention because we look around and we're watching the news or just in your personal life and we see injustice happening all of the time. We see the problems and trials that, that others are going through or we're going through, and we say it just doesn't seem right. Someone should do something about that. <laughs> we argue about it when it comes to the budgets of states and of nations. We debate uh, how to make things right when they are broken all of the time. And so at the core of us, we think you know, that, that God himself... The, the creator and director of all things, he too should be paying attention and, and looking and seeing how it is that this world can be made more just. And to do so, to look at that and understand it together as a family of believers, we have to think about the nature of God's wrath which is where we're starting this morning, the nature of God's wrath. Um, as we heard in our scripture, we're going to go right to the, the very first verse we read this morning. I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. The wrath of God, the way it's sort of depicted, is, is this thing that has a I don't know, a finite amount, if you will. There are seven bowls of them. Now, this is a vision. It's not like we're, we're going to sit around and think about the measurements, like we're baking a cake or something. Seven cups of wrath, three eggs, and three eggs would be a lot. Those are expensive these days, right? But no, it'd be just what, I mean, we're, not, we're not saying it's a, a specific amount as much as we could say that it seems as though it's an amount that could be measured. Now, how much that is, I don't know. That's not the point. But God's wrath isn't an open-ended, God's wrath isn't an a, a unknown quantity to God, it is just to us. Think about the nature of God's wrath versus the nature of our wrath. I, I seem to have this unending capacity <laughs> for wrath in my life. I don't know about you, I'm guessing it's probably the same for you. There's, there, there's no limit to the amount of anger I can experience towards other people. I mean, really, the limiting factor tends to be other people, right? If, if somebody does something against me or to me that causes me or my family harm, I'm going to have wrath. That word just, the best translation of that word is just, word is just anger or, or, or not hatred, but that, that mindset towards somebody else. Yeah, so if somebody does something to me or my family, I'm going to have that anger or that wrath towards them. Well, there's, there's no end to the possibilities of that. But that's not God's wrath. God's wrath is specifically limited 
to these seven bowls. Again, there's a symbolic meaning behind it that we're going to be digging into over the next, uh, this week and then next week as well. But, but that limitation of his wrath is important because it means that if his wrath is limited, so is the injustice of this world. It's able to be measured by God because he is God, right? He is able to know all things. He's omniscient. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-everything. So he knows exactly how much wrath is going to go out, which lines up to knowing exactly how much injustice is in this world, which isn't comforting that, that we, we don't know what that amount is, but it's comforting to know that it is measured, that there is a limit, that there is an amount of injustice in this world that, that God simply does not allow or will not tolerate. That's comforting to me. <laughs> Just because I don't know what that amount is or what it looks like doesn't mean I can't, as his child, sit back and say, I know God won't go further than whatever it is he has deemed just. And that, well, I, I sort of just tip my hand there a little bit, gives us the proper relationship between us and God. So we're his children. And as children, we don't always understand the wrath or the anger of those who are in authority over us. As kids, right, we didn't always get it when mom and dad were angry. You'd be like, Why? Why are you upset at this? It was my, my toy, my thing, I, and I wrote my name on it in permanent marker. I'm looking at you right there, that one, the second one right there. It was mine, and I just put my name on it with permanent marker. What's the problem? Mm-hmm. We don't always understand why mom and dad get angry, why, why they're setting rules in a certain way, and sometimes we see that anger and that wrath as unloving, or unjust. But at the end of the day, it's just because we're younger, we don't have the perspective, we don't know all that our parents know, we don't know and understand all that God knows. So the nature of God's wrath isn't, is, isn't mysterious and therefore terrifying. It is beyond what we can comprehend often, but in a trusting relationship as his kid, we, we know that it's in love. And I think there's a, a difference right there that, that the world that's out there that doesn't have a relationship with the Lord as a creator doesn't always understand. Love and consequences, as, as we know as, as parents or as kids, I don't care, uh, you're one of those for sure. You're either a parent or a kid, no matter how old you are. We know there isn't any conflict between love and consequences. They're, they're not mutually exclusive. They're, they're not at all. But there's a, a world out there that believes if God is all loving, then there wouldn't be consequences that we all suffer. What a terrible thing. Imagine trying to, to have a loving relationship with somebody where there are no consequences for any actions. Do, say, live how you will 
with no consequences. That means for you and for them. At some point, when you realize that no matter what I do, there's no consequences. It doesn't hurt this person's feelings when I say this or it doesn't bother them when I do this. No matter what I do, it never bothers this person. Of course, you're going to start to wonder, do they even care? And the answer would be no. They don't. Sometimes there's some utility in that, right? When, when I don't care, when I don't have a, a close relationship with somebody and they say something that's offensive to me, I, I kind of don't care. I might try and correct them and, and say, here's an, a different perspective to that. But if it's somebody I love who says something to me, well, that's, that's a whole different thing. So now, there's, there's consequences. I'm, my feelings are hurt. There will be consequences of some distance emotionally or whatever it is. But we, we actually need there to be consequences in life. We need to know that we are able to hurt somebody in order to know that they actually love us. So when we see the consequences of sin around us as children in a relationship with the Father, as a creator, we say we know that he loves enough to care about his creation. And this is an important thing to note as well. We're talking about all of creation. God cares about his children, you guys, those who profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He cares about you, but he cares about those who don't profess Christ as Savior. And he cares about animals, and he cares about nature, and he cares about just the earth and all things that he has made in general. He cares about all of these things, and we see that the sin that, that we brought into this world through Adam and Eve has consequences that, that cover the entire planet, as we heard today in our reading. The angels pouring out this wrath, it just goes upon the whole thing. From the sun to the waters to the people, it's just spread out over everything because God cares about everything. Now, consequences from, from wrath aren't fun. <laughs> of course they're not, but there's a difference between a, a renovation and a remodel. Our next point here, I th actually... Remodeling and teardown. I changed my sermon like nine times in the last three hours, so I have to deal with it. Remodeling versus a teardown. It is better. Let me tell you a little bit about um, where I used to live in Michigan, where they would do these remodels. It was this, this tiny little town north of Detroit, Rochester, Michigan, little farming community. Um, think Waukee, but a lot further away from Des Moines, but think of Waukee like 40, 50 years ago. You know, a little tiny town, right? That's what Rochester, Michigan was. And then there was some unrest and strife that went on in Detroit, and a lot of people went north. And so these, these small little houses, you know, like, like old school Waukee, original Waukee, these thousand square foot, single level with a basement houses were suddenly um, very much sought after. And, and, and jumped in price from, you know, eighty dollars to $100,000 to $250,000, $300,000. I'm not kidding. It was just, boom, just exploded. 
But what they would do is, is these people with, with great means wanted to live in Rochester, wanted to be close because it's a cool little town, close to the downtown, close to the hospital, and, and there's, our church was right there and other things. That, it was just, but, but they didn't want this tiny little house, so what they would do is they would remodel it. <laughs> what I mean by remodel is tear almost the entire thing down and then rebuild but you see, they could call it a remodel versus new construction, which I don't know the specifics of why, but for some reason, that was better tax-wise or something. So what they would do is they would leave one wall, and you would drive by, and you'd see that the whole thing is gone, and there's one wall. And then they would build a three-story, 6,000-square-foot mansion around this one wall. <laughs> and they would say, that's not new construction. I'm, I'm not kidding. The lawns are like a foot and a half on this side, foot and a half on this side, and like 10 feet of grass before the road. It was the entire piece of dirt was this house. And they would say, this is a remodel. And that's different from a teardown. Now, as you and I would look at it, as my wife and I would drive by, we would laugh and say, yeah, that's a remodel. Well, <laughs> technically, they had left enough in place for it not to be a complete teardown. And what I'm saying is, is sometimes our lives are a little bit like a Rochester, Michigan remodel where it feels like because of the consequence of sin, things are just being torn down around us, right? It feels like the, the world is coming apart. Like we had this cute, nice little home that we decided this was going to be my life. This is what my life was going to look like. Here's, here is my job. Graduate from college and I'm going to pursue this and I'm going to be you know, an accountant or whatever. I'm going I'm to have this job in this office. Cute little family. You know, I'm going to have a spouse. We're going to have two, three kids. Whatever it might be is just perfect. You know, white picket fence. Everything is just the way I wanted it. And then it just feels like the wrath of God comes in and wipes the whole thing away. Our life isn't like I thought it was going to be. The kids grew up and, and, and everything changed. Or the, the job that I had, the career I pursued, went away because of internet, technology, or the marketplace, or, or, or just the, the marriage that I had to my spouse is coming apart because we didn't, we didn't know and, and have the same vision for our lives. All of these different things can happen to us, and it feels like this is the consequence of sin. Because it is the consequence of sin. Not necessarily your sin, but this sinful, broken world does this. And God pours his wrath out over the entire thing. <laughs> the entire creation. We all suffer in many different ways the consequences of, of our own sin, our own failures, our, our, our own brokenness, our own insecurity. Sometimes when we're, we're struggling in relationship, whether that's with our spouse or with our kids, we have to look at it like, this is because of my own insecurities, my own fears, my own brokenness, my, my own sinful self. And I could, you know, from there go, and that's, I, I got this from when I was a child and went through this trauma or this, and that, that's because of those people. And pretty soon, if you start trying to play the where does all the sin come from game, you go, oh, it's 
everyone <laughs> and everything. I mean, it could be natural disasters that cause somebody to and then move to this place. And it's, it's like the butterfly effect only with, with nothing but pain and suffering. I know I'm painting a really lovely picture of our world, aren't I? Well, <laughs> you heard the text. <laughs> it gets better. Give me a minute, okay? <laughs> but the point of all of that is to say, in a relationship like we described with the nature of God's wrath, we might still see one wall left and say, uh, he's remodeling, he's refining, he's taking this life that I thought I was going to have or had hoped to have or had designed and he's making it into something different that maybe I never wanted Maybe I never thought this would be what my life ought to be, but maybe I was a kid and he's God and he actually knows and understands better than I do, knows and understands more than I do, and he is going to build on top of this, this tiny little sliver that, that remains that is me something for his kingdom that is glorious. It's, it's, it's not that he's going to reward me, not that he's going to make my life better after tearing it down. That's not the case necessarily. But as our lives suffer against the consequences of sin, as, as those walls crumble down, what remains is this last wall, this last load-bearing structure that we call faith. And that faith sustains. That faith identifies us. It says, this is not a teardown and a destruction of a life, but this rather is a child of God. And in that refining, the scriptures call it, it's like fire. When you're, when you're smelting something, right, and you've got gold and you want to purify it, you run it through this fire and the impurities bubble up and they're removed. Maybe in the midst of this remodel that is your life, you're going to find some things that God says, you got to remove this. And it's going to be things that, that are going to be uncomfortable to face. Pride. Ego, greed, things you don't want to admit about yourself, but now, as everything is torn down, you look at it and you go, well, yeah, you know what? I did kind of have a little bit too much faith and hope in worldly possessions, and those are torn away. <laughs> I did have too much confidence in my own abilities, thought that I could make it through life on my own and wouldn't need God necessarily, and that clearly has gone away. I thought for sure all I had to do was have the right spouse or the right kids or do the right things, live in the right neighborhood or, or just be a good person. I thought that's all I needed to do. But my confidence in these things, that wall got torn down. Each one of those, pride and ego and, and commitment to worldly things and all of these things, all of those walls get torn down and the one wall sticking out for the whole world to see as they're driving by might be your faith. And that might be enough for somebody to go, are you kidding me? <laughs> You still believe God loves you after all of these things happened? 
you still think that God is in control after all of that, really? And when our answer is, yeah, because this wall remains, well, God has promised to us an actual mansion, three-story, 6,000 square foot, but it's at the resurrection. It's not here in this world. God has made that promise to us. That's, that's what we're seeing in Revelation is this, this pouring out of the wrath of God upon all of the people. But if you're listening to that, there's one component that, that man, all of the Israelites would have picked up on. All of the people who are hearing the letter that John wrote would have picked up on, and I bet some of you picked up on it this morning too. It kind of gave a hint when I said we're going to go to Exodus, <laughs> right? Maybe you started hearing about plagues, and, and you went, oh, that's kind of like in Egypt when we had all of those plagues that happened. I want to just give you a, a list. So the, the last point in the sermon is echoes of, e, of the Exodus, in Exodus chapter 7 to about 9, 10, 11, 12, somewhere in there, is, depending on where you cut it off, are, we hear all of these plagues that happen. I'm just going to kind of run through a quick list here. The first one was everything turned to blood. All the water turned to blood. That affected everybody. Just like in our Revelation text, all the water turns to blood. The Israelites too. It wasn't just the Nile River. It wasn't just the rivers. But if you had a jar full of water, that turned to blood. It affected everybody for seven days. There were frogs. That's just weird, right? That's a weird one. But the worst part of that one, as you read the scripture, is they all just, there frogs everywhere. Then they died and it stank. <laughs> And it affected everyone. There were gnats that affected everyone. Biting flies that affected everybody. Death of livestock. Exodus 9 verse 4. I'm going to put that on the screen. Exodus 9 4 says, But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel will die. See, all these plagues that affect everybody, but there's this one that is provision for getting through the, the wilderness. Because it's, it's not going to be a quick journey. Even if they didn't mess up and have to spend 40 years there, they needed to bring the livestock with to eat them. So God said, don't, don't harm or touch the livestock of Israel because they will need that as provision. God provides for us even when all other things seem to be destroyed. The people of God are sheltered from this one plague, right? All right. Moving on from there, we have boils. Everybody gets boils so bad that the, the people in Pharaoh's court couldn't even stand before him because their feet were covered in boils. And then there's hail. This is Exodus 9.26. Only in the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were forced to live, that's where, the, that's where they kept all the slaves, was there no hail because it would have killed the, the remaining livestock or the people, destroyed all of those things. Again, that they will need provision as they leave. Then we have, of course, locusts affected everybody. Locusts everywhere. Darkness, Exodus 10, 23, they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. What we see 
in these plagues is it goes out over everybody, but God reserves and shelters his people from some of his wrath. And that where he shelters, there is light. There is life instead of death. There is hope to get through this wilderness. It is the faith that God promises his wrath will not destroy. If we trust that he will provide for us what we need, which isn't the money that we need, but it is things like hope and light and joy. It is the things that, that you can't purchase with money or, or have as possessions. These are the things God says, my wrath isn't going to touch. And there's one more plague the death of the eldest son. And that one doesn't touch the Israelites. It isn't poured out on the Israelites. Except it is. See, the other examples I gave to you, God just didn't do it to the Israelites. But this one, this one of death, the angel of death that comes through, comes to all people but God gives a provision, and he says, the lamb. Take the lamb, the one that is perfect without blemish, kill the lamb, and put the blood on the doorpost. Because the angel of death is coming for Israelites too. It's coming across all people. As Christians, we can make claim to say the wrath of God that, that comes out, comes over all of us, but, but in places, my hope remains because of my faith. My joy remains because of my faith. The, the love that I have for people remains because of my faith, even when it's torn down around me in the secular world. But we don't say that death doesn't come for us. We see that provision has been made by the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, death does come for us all. But then God intervenes, steps in. In the incarnation of Jesus, as the angel of death comes for all, he steps in and takes that blow of the angel of eternal death. And it is his blood that we received just a few moments ago, for the forgiveness of sins that shelters us from the death that is coming for all of us because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So then death comes for each and every one of us. The consequences of our sin and our action, that's one thing, but that we all sin and deserve eternal death well, this has to be dealt with, not, not with losing your job or fights with your spouse or, or those things. Our sin has to be dealt with by God. Eternal death has to be dealt with by God because boils are survivable. Hail is survivable. The death of your livestock, the losing of your job, your divorce, your, your kids being lousy, your parents being lousy, whatever it is, all of those things you can survive. You have faith, you have hope, you have joy because God has provided for you, but you won't survive the tomb without Christ. You won't survive death unless the Lamb of God has applied his blood to you. Thanks be to God. It's available first and third Sundays here at Living Faith. 
Thanks be to God, that blood was shed for you and that there is no requirement. Believe. Trust. Just as the Israelites did. They trusted. The blood was on the doorpost and the angel of death passed over. The blood is on your doorpost when you trust and you believe. Though your house is being remodeled around you, though the world crumbles around you, trust and believe the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world died for you. Amen.